What is up? How y'all been doing? This is CL Whitehead, and this is the non-microwave truth. You are in the right place. If this is your first time joining us today, glad to have you. God is good. Thank you for the blessing. If you're someone who's tuned in before, you consider yourself a loyal listener. Did you notice something? Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Yep. Got new intro music. Shout out to my man Kenny Cams for blessing us with a couple beats. You'll hear it also at dinner time. I like it. I like it a lot. So I hope you like it too because this is the new sound of the non-microwave truth. I took a couple weeks off, but I'm energized. I'm ready. I feel like the Holy Spirit has blessed me with some hot material. And let's get into it. We are keeping the same formula. We will start off with the first world problem. And if you've never been with us before, first world problem is something that's not really a problem. It's not really an issue. There's no heaven or hell. It's just something thinking outside of the box, something that you probably haven't thought about in terms of looking and studying scripture. But our first world problem today is this. What do you think Jesus would say to people who want body work done? Like I'm talking about, I want a new gluteus maximus. I want a new chest. I want my lips filled what, what would Jesus say to that? And if he was around today, I think there would be a ton of people asking for that type of miracle. And I say this because how many people get surgery wanting a bigger butt or a head full of hair or a different nose or to remove fat or just want some plump lips? Like, would he perform this miracle? Like, is this a, a sin? I think I got to thinking about this because it seems like a lot more people are getting surgery. Like this is the highest rate I think people have ever gotten surgery. And, you know, sometimes it's even amazing because somebody might have a, a backboard and then all of a sudden they got a plickety plow. And I just wonder what would God do with this? Like, would he perform this miracle? Like, is it a sin? That is up for debate. But I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts that I have. One, I think if someone asks God, asks Jesus to perform a miracle and say, hey, I want a, a bigger butt or a bigger chest. I think that Jesus, with his awesome wisdom, his his acumen, he would figure out the why behind it. Or actually, he would already know the why behind it. But he would get that person to see why do they want what they want. And then I know he would get them and reassure them how much they are loved by God and show them who they are already through him. So do I think he will perform the miracle? No, I do not. But do I think it's a sin? I think that's up for debate. And I know definitely in some cases it could, but I know there are some surgeries that are there to save people's lives. Some surgeries are there to help accelerate a process or get something going or let's say you get something like liposurgery you still have to and need to work out in order to see the best results and sometimes if someone just had a baby there's not enough working out and diet that they could actually do so a tummy tuck makes sense and it's different right but hold up I'm, I'm thinking out loud right now and maybe Jesus would perform that miracle at times because when I think about it like we all see 
But do you like need to see? Like, yes, I feel like I need to see because I see. But he healed people's vision. He also performed miracles of people needing or feeding people, I should say. And he performed water into wine. So dang, I don't know if I can really say he wouldn't do the miracle. I guess I really don't know. But I guess the caution is this. And I got this from a podcast called Little Things. It's a Christian podcast led by Amber Swenson. She's a writer. She's a blogger. She's a podcaster. It seems like she does it all. I think we're going to have to get together and do some work together one day, Amber. But this is the quote that I got from her podcast. It says, anything you want, you have to be okay with not having it or it becomes an idol. And I think that sums this up very nicely. So the first world problem question, which I really do want to hear from people about this, like, what do you think about this? And if you could provide some scripture and kind of like your experiences, but more so I want the scripture because sometimes people give me their experiences, but it has nothing to do with scripture. The first world problem question is this. Do you think Jesus will perform miracles when people, if people ask him today, like, hey, can you give me a bigger butt or a bigger chest or any type of surgery and that type of thing? Surgery to make you look better. And do you think it's a sin? Remember, Champion Life 23, Instagram or Twitter, let me know your thought process. And this, my friends, is our first world problem today. It is dinner time. Someone comes up to you and asks the question, who are you? I love to ask that question. I feel like it makes some people uncomfortable and some really don't know how to answer. Some answer by telling me what they do job-wise. Some give me their name. Some tell me who they're related to. Some just look puzzled like, wait, what do you mean, who am I? The title of our episode today is, Who Are You? And throughout this episode, I want you to constantly be thinking about that, like, who am I really like? How would I answer that question? Who are you? And I also want you to think about what do you have your identity wrapped up in? Like, what do you want to be known by? Who do you want to be? Who do people say you are? And like I said, I took a break because of school and because of football. And that's a question people always ask, like, Hey, how's the team looking? What's y'all identity? And especially in this early part of this season, the team is trying to find who we are and what we will wrap our identity in. And this goes the same for any company, a job. I mean, it goes almost for anything. But something I can tell with our football team that we're really trying to hang our hats on is the motto and the idea that failure doesn't exist. And when you're playing a game where you get judged on the results, you have to be very present and you have to have a short term memory. You can't hang your head on what people deem as success and you definitely can't hang your hat on what people deem as failures. And one of the identities or things we're trying to wrap our identity is that failure doesn't exist. And that means we are always trying to learn from something. We are always trying to become better. We are always trying to be present. And then we're also trying to wrap our identity in the fact that one of the concepts that we've been teaching our, our players is that there's a window and there's a mirror. When you look out the window, you can come up with a different perspective. You can choose what you want to see a lot of times. But when you look in the mirror, 
that's looking right back at you. And there's this great video from a coach named Buzz Williams. And you don't even have to like sports or athletic, but check that out sometimes. It's a mirror versus window philosophy. And Buzz Williams breaks that down with his players. And the the mirror is just more so holding yourself accountable, constantly looking at yourself, constantly trying to, to develop your character and you as a person. And it's not about the window. The window is where you choose what you want to see. You can make excuses. But the thing about a mirror is we all love to look at a mirror when we know we're looking good. But we know when we got some stuff on our face or maybe we just woke up looking a little ugly. We don't like to look in the mirror because we don't like what we see in that mirror. But the mirror is the most important and the most real thing for us continuing in the right direction. And that is just a huge identity thing. Huge identity thing. And I just had somebody ask me this question the other day. He said, how did I go about developing my brand? Like who I am as a person, what I stand for. And I kind of was like, do I even have a brand? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And and I answered something like this, man. I'm CL Whiteside. And people always ask you, what does CL stand for? And it, it definitely started from an arrogant standpoint. I remember my eighth grade teacher, she came up to me like last week in church and she's like, remember you used to put CL on everything? You used to put champion life on everything? And I started from a from an arrogant standpoint of I'm a winner. So what does CL stand for? It stands for champion life because everything I do, I'm winning at, baby. But over time, when you have different successes or when I had different successes and different failures and, and been humbled in certain ways, I started to, to rebrand that, I guess I should say, and it was like a champion's life is only possible through the cross of Christ. So through my different experiences where I have have had success and I've also had times where I say I failed or didn't go exactly how I wanted to. I realized that winning was only possible through understanding who Christ is and what he has done for me. But like, how would you answer that question? Like, what's your brand? Who are you as a person? What do you stand for? Why do you stand for that? And man, it's just so intriguing to see uh, the beginning of the school year when you have all these students coming into high school and they're trying to find out who they are and what they're going to be and for some it's like oh you're a sophomore now you think you big stuff you think you moving on up and it's like you're still a sophomore you're still a wise fool and people like to use the analogy of a, you're now a small fish in a big pond for, for freshmen or younger students but Sometimes some of these students are they were small fish at their school and now they're small fish in even a bigger pond. So they're even a smaller fish. And then every once in a while you have a freshman who was a big fish in middle school. And now in high school, they're going to really be a big fish. They're going to be a shark because they just needed a bigger environment to help them grow. And the same goes for adults. The same goes for, for people in college and people entering the workforce and just friend circles trying to figure out who will I be now. And there is a consistent message that we hear about defining who we are. And I know y'all had to heard this, but have had heard this before. What you do makes you who you are. The choices you make, they make you. Like how much do we tell people that? And how many people actually believe this? But what you can do a lot of times is largely or at least partially based on the gifts and talents that you have. And I got to I got to be real. I hate the phrase. You can be anything you want in life. Like, no, you can't. Like, I could not be an NFL offensive lineman. I'm five, six, one seventy. Like, I, I can't do it. I can't be an NBA center. I can't be a Spanish speaking neurosurgeon. It's too late. Like the amount of time that I would need to put in, I wouldn't be able to eat. I wouldn't have a job. I, I just don't have the money to try to make that happen. 
I couldn't be the president of the United States. I'm not rich. If I hit the lotto or something, maybe I will have a chance. And some of you like, well, you don't have to be rich to be the president. Name a president that wasn't rich. I'm waiting. But let me get back to the topic. A lot of times we define what we do and what our success is with who we are. We look at our successes or our failures and we say, because I did this, because I made this choice, that is who I am. And that's a tough thing to try to hold on to, good or bad. Because I look at some people who felt like they got dealt a bad hand. And what I mean by a bad hand, a bad hand in a worldly sense where they don't necessarily feel like they have the gifts and the talents that the world necessarily doesn't appreciate or brings them worldly success or treasures. And if you have that or if you think that, and especially if you're comparing, you can end up feeling like nothing or you can be envious of what others have. And like I was saying, it's it's funny to see teenagers try to figure out who they are or you see they come into school and it's like, he likes that girl. Look at him. He trying so hard. Or you see, this happens with adults too. You ever meet somebody who like they really want to be funny and it's like, man, they are not funny. They almost It almost becomes annoying. But something that we all struggle with is when others try to tell us who we are. And I think about Thomas in the Bible. Thomas Didymus, he did what most of us would have done. Even though he was one of Jesus' disciples, he just kept it real. He said, hey, I need to see Jesus if he really rose from the dead. I need to touch the man. I need to put my fingers in the nail holes. And because he did that, we call him Doubting Thomas, when really he did what 90 to 95% of us would have done. And, And maybe people are trying to tell you who you are based off of some choices that you have made in the past. And that can be from from sexual choices to stupid points that you've argued to stupid things that you've said to any type of poor choice that you've made. And it's this great book called Who Am I? You can find it on Amazon, Target. It's by Dr. Reverend Phil Hebner. And it says it's for teens, but it's really for any age. And I, I can't lie, I only read half the book. I left it in Mexico on my honeymoon. I don't know if the maid took it or... I don't know who knows, but hopefully somebody in Mexico has the book and they read it and they got something out of it. And one of the big points that this book makes is we lose track of our identity in Christ. And if we don't even know Christ, we just don't know about it. Like we don't know that we have identity in something else. We don't know that who we are is defined by someone else, that someone being God in case you didn't catch on. And like I said, who we are. A lot of times we're trying to be better than someone else or we're trying to be like something that we think is cool or is the trend. And although we're obsessed with being better than someone else, that's not what God wants from us. God wants perfection. And that's a that's a point from the book that I that really stuck out to me. Like I can't compare myself to to another husband and just be looking at my baby like, man, you just don't know how good you got it. I mean, I do, but I shouldn't. There's only one person I really can compare myself to, and that's to to Christ, because God wants perfection. And that's a point made in the book that really just like smacked me in the face. And back to that point that what you do makes you who you are and the choices you make make you, that, that skews our view on success and failure because some people They see all their successes and that fills them up with pride. Some are delusional and they think they're successful when they really aren't too. And that's that's probably the weirdest thing for me. Like you thought that was successful, like bro, that wasn't even that good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like that. 
And then some never acknowledge their successes and they only see their failures or they let their failures outweigh everything big time. So you have those who can develop a God complex because of their strengths. And that's where you become arrogant or you can develop a God can't help me complex because of our weaknesses. And I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, you have those cocky and arrogant people. They have to tell people how great they are. They usually struggle to compliment others. And then you have those who have that insecure override, like they get a compliment and they have to point out their own weaknesses all the time, or they just flat out don't accept the compliment. And they think that it's a lie. Like, Hey, you know, you look really good today. Stop it. No, I don't. And they're not playing. They're dead serious. Like this is wrong with me. I have this on my face. My hair is this. And it's like, dang, I thought you looked nice. Like, okay, whatever. And on this episode of who you are, we're going to look at how do we get to that point where we're humble and confident? Oh, yeah, I don't think I even said that this is going to be a two part series. I'm going to try this out. This is a two part series. This is the first part, by the way. And we want to get to that humble and confident point. Where we're able to say thank you when we get a compliment and we are able still, though, to accept criticism for our weaknesses. Now, let's get into some scripture. In Daniel chapter four, we have King Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebuchadnezzar. He allows success to define who he was. So if you were to ask King Nebuchadnezzar, who are you? He would have probably listed and rattled off all the accomplishments accomplishments, all the great things that he's done. And in the Bible, it says this, Daniel says this to King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. That sounds pretty cool though. Like who doesn't want to be successful like that? Like that sounds awesome. And I also want to look at Samson. Samson is one of my favorite biblical people. And Samson wanted to identify with his superhero strength first and foremost, like literally and physically. And I think about how this is just the same for like athletes or musicians or people with unique skills. And they might not even be unique, but what have people gotten to know them for they start to really identify themselves with? And this is coming from Judges 16. You can see that Samson was without a doubt known for his strength. People inquired about his unique skill and his his unique talent. And the enemies, the Philistines, they got to his woman like she betrayed him. She wasn't loyal. Like, man, that hurt. It hurt just talking about it. Samson would have been playing the song. These girls ain't loyal. And what the enemies, the Philistines did is they offered her money and they said, you have to find out what's the secret to dude's strength. Because dude is just too strong. Like he destroyed our whole army with a donkey bone. Like dude is something different. Like you got to find out it's something. It's something special about him. And I mentioned who you are tells what you will stand for earlier. And Samson's sense of identity was wrapped up in his gift. That is what he stood for most. It became like a game to him because Samson would tell her like, hey, you know, just braid my hair and um, that'll make me lose all my strength. She tells him. Wakes up, whoops the Philistines real quick, you know, just just tie me up real quick. Breaks out of that, whoops the Philistines real quick. So it was just like a game to him and his identity was no longer in God, the giver of his strength, but it started to be in his great strength. And don't we see that all the time with great talents in America? Like it creates this invincibility. But when that great talent starts to disintegrate or they don't take care of it in a proper way or what happens is you just get replaced by someone with a greater talent of the same likeness, some lose their minds because They have lost their identity. 
And we see that because Samson actually told his wife what the real key to his strength was, which is never to cut his hair because he was a Nazarite. So again, when he falls asleep, she goes to the Philistines and says, hey, I got him for real this time. Like, I really, really know the secret. And when he goes to wake up this time hairless, his strength is all gone. He thought that it was always going to be there. He forgot what really made him special was God and his obedience to God. And he had to be humble. And this is a prime example where we as humans, we constantly celebrate the gift or the talent more than we celebrate and glorify the gifter or the person who gave us the gift. We forget like the source of the gift. Like you couldn't do that amazing thing if it wasn't for God. You couldn't even get up. I couldn't even get up out of bed if it wasn't for God. Have you celebrated the gift more than the gifter? And I mentioned just a little bit ago, King Nebuchadnezzar and the success that he has. The same thing happened to him. And I, you got to read that. Read Daniel chapter four when you get some time or actually make some time to read it. It's, it's fascinating. He got driven out away from the people and he lived with the wild animals like he was eating grass like the ox. Like, that's how God had to humble him. My man was drenched in dew, hair probably looking all wild, musty, looked probably just horrible. But this happened because his identity was wrapped up in his success. And God had to make him understand your identity should be wrapped up in me. It should be wrapped up in Yahweh. And it worked. King Nebuchadnezzar started to praise and exalt and glorify the real God. Now, there is an opposite end of the spectrum, too, that people, us, we identify with our weaknesses at times. And sometimes we, we try to make it seem like we're humble. It's like humble when you know you're nothing without God. But sometimes that's not humbling at all. It's just fearful and the wrong thing to identify with. And the perfect example of that is Moses, Moses and Exodus. And God was telling Moses, like, hey, you are going to be the leader of these people. I will be with you and I'm going to give you signs. But Moses came up with all these excuses. I'm not convincing. I don't have a dynamic personality. I suck at talking. Like Moses found his identity in his weaknesses, even though God said, bruh, I got you. I got you. So I ask you that question again. Who are you? Do you know? And you definitely don't want to be something that can be taken away. That theme of what you do makes you who you are and the choices that make you make you is a microwave truth. Like there is some truth to it, but it's not the whole truth. You are not just your gift or your talent or your weaknesses. You are not just your good or bad choices that you've made. And you got to break it down more. You got to unpack this because identifying with talents and gifts, we all do it at times. But when you're a Christian, you have to love the fact that the greatest gift that you have is from Christ. And that cannot be taken away. Or you can't find someone better or find something better. What's your greatest gift or talent? It has very little to do with you or me. And thank God for that. Like, thank God for that. It has to do with God the Father loving you so much that he came up with a plan to make sure your identity would be secure and it would be whole. It has to do with the fact that Christ is an identity who can love the jankiest people. And he decided to identify with us and fight the battle fight the worst battle for each one of us in order that we didn't have to do that. And it has to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit, he gives us faith and he allows us to see the gift of identifying first and foremost with a loving and awesome and all powerful God. Like our identity is perfection because literally he traded places with us. 
He literally reconciled and paid a debt that we could not pay. Man, that's that's awesome. So just in case you didn't catch that, he gave us sustaining success that can't be taken away. He covered up all our weaknesses and washed those away. So all we can see and all we are is perfection because of him and what he has done. Oh yeah, and the bad and stupid choices that we've made, he washed those away. And he's also actually validated the good ones and he's made them actually worth something because if we don't have God, the choices that we think are so good, they're meaningless. And because of that, we have perfection through Christ's death and resurrection. So despite what the world tells us, our gifts don't make us, our talents don't make us, our weaknesses don't break us, and our successes don't make us either. And if you think they do, or you felt like this is what you've been wrapping your identity in, watch how fast these things come and go. And none of these things last forever. And when you hang your hat on these things solely, this is why we have so many identity crisis issues and people not having a clue to know who they actually are. And this is the non-microwave truth. We're just getting started. This is part one. Tune in next week for part two. And if you liked this episode, loved it, thought it was cool, interesting, share it with a friend, a colleague. I don't care who you share it with, just share it with somebody. And really think about that. Who are you? Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.